Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, good afternoon. Happy Wednesday, friends. Welcome aboard. Rob Breckenridge with you. Afternoons on 770 CHQR. Thanks for being with us here today. Our number, you want to join in the conversation, 403-974-8255. That's 974-TALK. Got a lot to get to this afternoon. I want to let you know, coming up in about two hours from now, we're going to go live uh, to an update from Education Minister Adriana LaGrange and Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. We're going to get some clarification today on what the return to school plan is. Now, initially, when uh, in-school learning was paused, May 25th, the day after the uh, May long weekend, was the target. Now, we've had uh, some indication that, that maybe that's not necessarily going to be the date for everybody uh, as much as they want to try to stick to that. So we're going to find out for sure what the plan is at 2.30 today, and we will have that live for you. So that's in about two hours from now. A lot of other stuff to get to along the way, your calls, your texts as well. I want to begin this afternoon, though, with an interesting story that's unfolded over the last few days. It kind of began on Friday and culminated yesterday in the Alberta government backing down. Now, there was a request for a proposal that had been posted late last week. Uh, looking for some long-range drones to help with enforcement of certain campgrounds and parks. Uh, I think there were four designated areas the province was concerned about, and some of these areas, I, I guess, can be difficult to monitor. The thinking seemed to be, let's use drones to keep an eye on that. Well, Once word got out on, on all of this, there was a lot of pushback. And a lot of people, it seems, weren't comfortable with the idea of having the Alberta government using drones for surveillance. And so, as I say, that all culminated yesterday in the decision by the Alberta government uh, to back down, to scrap this request for proposal and to say that we do not intend to use this kinds of technology to monitor campgrounds or more to the point to monitor campers. Well, it was the Alberta Institute uh, that first called attention to this, and uh, they very quickly surpassed their goal of signatures on a petition that they have up at their website, albertainstitute.ca. Uh, joining us uh, off the top of this afternoon, Peter McCaffrey joins us. He is president of the Alberta Institute. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Rob. Good to be with you. So it's been an interesting few days. So I guess we, we just learned about this, I guess, was it was it late last week then, Friday? Yeah, so the, the request for proposal was posted on the government website on uh, Friday and then uh, came to our attention, thanks to someone sending it to us, uh, just very late Monday night. Um, so then we wrote up the petition, we wrote up some information about it, did a little bit more research and analysis, released that petition at about 8 a.m. yesterday, and within about three hours had 3,000 signatures, and it was all over social media and the government uh, cancelled the whole thing. So uh, very, very quick turnaround, but obviously we're very pleased with that. So, 
No kidding. So when you had a look at this request for proposal and, you know, went went through the details, what was your sense then of, of what this was all about or what they were trying to do here? Well, well, so we should stay, we should make it very clear right from the start. I don't think anybody objects to using drones for things like search and rescue or wildfire monitoring and, or fighting or anything like that. You know, there's there's a ton of fantastic uses for drones. It's a great new technology. They're even being used to deliver urgent medical supplies to remote areas, things like that. So this is not some anti-drone, anti-technology thing. Uh, the concern was that slipped in there, along with all those other good uses, was monitoring campers, and in particular as well, monitoring gatherings of 10 or more individuals. Um, and so the question there is, is this plan for, are they looking to do general monitoring of campers for general rule breaches? Is this a COVID-specific thing that was planned? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, but I, you know, I, look, I think the government's back down is pretty, uh, pretty quickly, and that makes it pretty clear that, you know, this is unacceptable and this isn't something that should have even been considered, never mind got to the, the request for proposal phase where the government starts looking for somebody to pay to do this. Right. And do we have any clarification on, you know, who asked for this or where the idea came from in the first place? Do we know? So, so we've asked. We haven't had any response. I know other media have asked as well and not received a response. Um, my intuition is that what's happened is that when the government implemented uh, various emergency rules and regulations with respect to COVID, uh, and you'll remember a while ago they gave permission for peace officers and AHS officials to give tickets and enforce COVID rules. Actually, at the same time, the government gave the power to Alberta Environment and Parks officials to also do COVID rule enforcement. Um, and so I think what's happened is that the government has given permission for Alberta Environment and Parks to do this COVID rules enforcement task. And then, you know, bureaucrats in AEP have gone away and tried to work out, well, how do we actually do this? I know, let's use drones. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I can kind of believe that maybe this isn't what was intended by the minister, um, but clearly some bureaucrats run away with this and decide this would be a great idea. And somehow it got through all the monitoring process and actually went out to, to as a contract. So that's a big concern. Right. So it's, it's plausible or believable anyway, then, that the minister didn't know about this. He says once he became aware, he instructed his department to to cancel this. So are you prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt on that point? Uh, yes, but also we need to be very careful. You know, like this isn't a political thing. Just in general, Albertans should be concerned because, you know, what what other things are uh, bureaucrats in environment um, parks or, or even any other ministry working on that ministers aren't aware of that might infringe on Albertans' rights? You know, do we have another government department that's planning to spy on people's emails without without notifying the minister? Like, I would think that something serious like this—that's a serious breach of. Albertans' rights and, and freedoms would be something that maybe the bureaucrats would check with the minister before doing. So, you know, we, we may never know exactly what the process was and exactly who knew what, um, but overall the whole situation is a big concern. Like, you know, how, how did this happen really is the question. Tell us a bit more about the, some of the reaction that, that you were hearing. I mentioned the petition that you had up on the website, and you had got thousands of signatures just in a couple of days here. So clearly this struck a nerve with people. Yeah, and, and it should. Like I said, you know, privacy is a fundamental right. And uh, what we're seeing here isn't even, you know, some kind of considered, uh, you know, cost-benefit analysis of should this right be infringed for a very specific reason. It was just, this is going to happen, guys. And if we hadn't noticed this and if we hadn't run the petition and if people hadn't been contacting their MLAs and there hadn't been this big pushback, 
this would have happened. The contract would have been signed, the drones would have been purchased, they would have been flying around. And honestly, the first we might have heard of it might have been when someone went to court to contest a ticket and asked to see the evidence that they'd done something and the, the government would have shown up with drone footage and we'd be like, whoa, hang on, where did this come from, right? So, so you know, it really is that proactive thing that we want to keep on top of these sorts of things and make sure that, you know, nothing like this is, is happening again. Is, is this significantly different, though, than having, you know, enforcement officers patrolling campgrounds or having, you know, mounted surveillance cameras in, in certain areas, you know, keeping an eye out for, for trouble or troublemakers? Is, is this more concerning or is this significantly different? I, I think it's different in two ways. The first way is, look, if you have a, a police officer patrolling around, that's a very human thing. Uh, you know, there's, there's a relationship there. It's very visible. It's very accountable. Um, with drones, it's very remote. Um, you know, there's no, obviously there's a human operating them, but there's not, no human in person. Uh, there's the capacity for the government to have literally thousands and thousands of these things, right? I, I don't think that's what the initial proposal was, but if we think about the future, do we really want to live in a society where the government could have thousands of these machines flying around and basically keeping tabs on everything? Um, and then the second element is what we talked about before, which is kind of this COVID angle of like, they were very specifically looking to enforce, uh, you know, restrictions around COVID gatherings of 10 or more individuals. And, and to be blunt, they were talking about gatherings of 10 individuals all the way up to the end of October, which, you know, we have not heard from any other part of the government that they're envisaging restrictions on outdoor gatherings of 10 individuals up to the end of October. You know, and, and, and this isn't some old contract that was written a long time ago and, and was only just issued. This was issued on Friday. So... I think there's a lot of questions there around, okay, why, why would a gathering of 10 restriction need to be enforced all the way to October? So back to the minister who has stopped this particular idea in its tracks. It's not going any further. But what more do you think that the minister or the government itself needs to do either to prevent these sorts of things from coming forward or, you know, making it clear in other respects that, you know, there, there are lines that are not to be crossed like this? Yeah, I mean, I would hope that the message to anyone working in any government department is, you know, look, the Alberta government does not infringe on people's civil liberties, and we don't want to be see we don't want to be seeing any proposals that infringe on civil liberties. And if there's some extreme case where you know some some infringement is absolutely necessary for a very specific, very narrow reason, we're going to have a full and open public debate about the reasons for that. Uh, the cost-benefit analysis, whether we're, whether it's worth it, we're going to let our business be involved in that decision-making process. It's not just going to go up on some government contract website as a, a fait accompli that's going to happen. All right, more at, uh, as mentioned, albertainstitute.ca. Peter, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Thank you. Great to be with you. Much appreciated. Peter McCaffrey, president of the Alberta Institute. Uh, so things happen pretty quickly. This request for a proposal was posted uh, on Friday. It wasn't until Monday that the Alberta Institute was made aware of it. And it didn't take very long. It was yesterday that the minister said, look, we're not going ahead with this. So the backlash was was pretty instant, and the response from government was pretty quick. So the petition uh, had a goal of 5,000 signatures in about a day, got to 5,400 at albertainstitute.ca. Don't spy on Albertans with drones, they say. The quote from the minister here, Parks Environment and Parks Minister Jason Nixon. In no way is the government supporting using drones to watch Albertans as they are recreating in parks and public lands. He went on to say the wording of the request for proposals is, quote, completely and utterly inappropriate. 
Now, the government does use drones or drone technology uh, to monitor, and, and Peter pointed this out, to monitor for wildfires, uh, for wildlife monitoring purposes, even when it comes to search and rescue. So Nixon says they are used for those reasons, should only be used for those reasons, and says he will make that clear to officials in his department. Now, clearly there have been some areas where, you know, a lot of people gather. And we hear about raucous parties, or we find out after the fact that, you know, big messes have been left behind. And there are certain areas. So what's the best way to deal with those problem areas? Are we okay with using this kind of technology for those purposes to keep an eye on people, just to make sure everybody's following the rules? All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. Again, 403-974-8255 is the number. We'll get back to the phones. But uh, curious what you make of this next idea. Uh, the conversation about incentivizing vaccination. I think vaccines in and of themselves are a pretty good incentive. Protection from getting sick. And I think collectively just a way of getting out of this pandemic, ending these restrictions. But I think as we've seen in the U.S., things do shift from a supply problem to a demand problem. Now, we're still in the uh, in the supply problem stage, although that's getting a lot better. But we're starting to see in the U.S. where vaccination rates have leveled off a bit. And it's about how do you get through to those who haven't yet got a vaccine? How do you incentivize that demand? And different states have taken different approaches. Ohio, notably, uh, decided to take a million dollars of their COVID relief money and create a, a lottery for people who've been vaccinated. And that seemed to work. In fact, they say uh, vaccination rates there have jumped up. We've seen on a smaller uh, scale, little ideas uh, here and there. People get uh, you know, free burgers and fries or free beer, those kinds of little incentives. But it seems clear at, at some point that just the idea of vaccine in and of itself as an incentive doesn't quite work with everybody. So what more can be done? There's a new report out today from the think tank Cardis uh, calling for a COVID vaccination incentive program. Could cash incentives be what's necessary to really get those immunization levels to where they need to be. Well, joining us to talk a bit more about this idea, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here this afternoon, one of the authors of this report. Uh, Brian uh, Dykema is Vice President of External Affairs at Cardis. Brian, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Rob, thanks for having me. So let's talk a bit about why you feel this kind of an approach is necessary. Let's start there. Well, I think it's it's something that um, that if we want to get through this pandemic, one of the best ways to do that is to ensure that everybody is vaccinated and that everybody's protected. Vaccines are one of those rare things that our individualist society isn't used to thinking about. It's one of those things that it only works if we're all in it together, right? And so mm -hmm. um, we want to get through this thing. I, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to hugging my mom, my niece that I haven't seen. I'm looking forward to drinking a beer in a restaurant. Uh, and I, I want to get this thing over with. I'm sick of it. And um, the best way to do that is to, is to have more and more people vaccinated. And um, Alberta is doing a great job. I think you guys are almost around the 50% uh, vaccination rate in the first dose, and that's a wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful thing. And I think what we want to do is keep that momentum going. It's always the hardest to get the last number of percent to get up there. And we think that incentives 
that are community focused. And I think that's the real difference between our proposal and some of the other ones. Our, our incentives are focused on promoting the common good, not just in putting uh, something in your own pocket, although it does a little bit of that. Um, but we think that the best way to do it is to say, look, this pandemic has been something that we're in together. We're only going to get through it together. And so the incentive is, needs to be aimed at helping the whole out together. And that's what, that's what we're proposing here. You know, we we are seeing that uh, demand plateau in the United States, and I think it's something we should perhaps be worried about here, but it's not necessarily going to unfold the same way. I mean, it's possible that there's just more of that um, demand here in Canada and that maybe we wouldn't need that sort of an incentive. I mean, what's your sense of where where demand is at in Canada, whether we're likely to see that, that same problem as they have in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, right now, demand is quite high, and I think that's great. I think that's a wonderful thing. We are, though, only at 50%. And like I said, it's it's the last chunk that you need to get through the door. And I think one of the benefits of what we're proposing, so I should might as well just say it, what we're proposing is a, uh, a, a money to individuals who get their vaccine, their second vaccine, of 60 to $90, which is roughly two to three times the median hourly wage in Canada. But that money can be used at local uh, businesses and charities. And the reason we are saying that is that charities and local businesses have been among the hardest hit parts of our society. And if you're offering that incentive, it just gives people one more reason to, to get up and go get that vaccine. What we're seeing, and my wife's a public health nurse here in Ontario, and what, what we see is not so much um, people who don't believe in vaccines or, or, or anything like that, but people who are sort of like, well, we'll just sort of wait. And what we're saying is that the incentive will actually get people up and going right away because every week, every month, every day, even that we can we can end this thing sooner, it'll be the better for all of us. Yeah, and I can see this as, as a real win-win because I think, you know, getting people vaccinated, easing restrictions is obviously good for small business, but this is another sort of level of, of kind of stimulus. But so how, how would that work? Because obviously we're giving cash to, to people. I mean, people can use that cash anywhere and for whatever. Would this almost be like mm-hmm. like gift cards or how might this work in practice? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Rob. And, and one of the things that, you know, recommend, for, in, for instance, on the charities front, there's an organization called Canada Helps, which has been um, actually one of, the, one of the places that have helped charities stay alive. They do a lot of online processing of, of charitable donations. What you could do is when you finish the, the vaccine is you could get a code from Canada Helps to give your 60 or $90 to whatever charity of your choice if you wanted to go the charity route. If you wanted to go the local business route, our recommendation is to do what many um, local chambers of commerce and CFIB groups groups and local municipal business groups do, which is offer business um, or which is offer gift cards for local businesses that can be spent in any one of those places. It's a fairly easy thing. It's something that's been done before. And I think the beauty of it is, is often when you're getting, say you're getting a gift certificate for 60 bucks and you're going to go out for dinner, the odds are you're going to be spending more than 60 bucks, right? So it's not like you're going to just simply go and swipe the 60 bucks. You're probably going to say, well, let's have another beer or, you know, let's get the nice steak this time. And the beauty of that is is it sort of it actually adds people adds their own money to that pocket and sort of really gets at helping these these both the charities and the local businesses that have been particularly hard hit we've seen that uh, throughout the pandemic and so it's sort of a beautiful way to bring everyone together in a way that achieves that top level policy objective which is getting people vaccinated so we can open up again now there's obviously a cost involved in this and i mean you know governments are covering the cost of, of getting these vaccines. We've seen a lot of money spent on a lot of other things through this pandemic, but what kind of a price tag would we be looking at for this? 
Yeah, I mean, in Alberta, there are about 3.5 million Albertans over 18. So the cost would range on the 60 to $90 per person who's getting the shot from around 206 to $310 million. Now, that does sound like a lot of money. For me, that's a lot of money. But if you compare it to the hundreds of billions of dollars that we're spending on wage subsidies, on rent subsidies, on, on CERB and things like that, it dwarfs in comparison. And, and the beautiful thing about this is this is aimed at the, 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 the single most important thing that can get us out of this pandemic. And so while the cost may seem low, it's actually one of the best value proposals out there in terms of, of, of ending this pandemic and letting us return to normal, letting our economy start up and letting our lives, quite frankly, get back to the way they should be. Okay. And so you would envision this as kind of retroactive. So people who had the vaccine already or even had it weeks or months ago would still be eligible. Sure. I, I think there's a there's the certain beauty of it is that, you know, most people who have gotten that vaccine have actually just gotten their first shot. And this would yeah. be something that you would get at your second shot to make sure right. that you're all the way through. And on that, we could actually cover most of the people. I think it's upwards of of 90 over be over 95 percent i don't think we're quite at that um that 10 percent range where you've gotten your second shot so i think now's the time to do it right we've got great momentum let's not let the momentum fall let's put it in so that we can just drive this thing right to the end and quite frankly help our communities and our charities out while we're at it it's an interesting idea much more at cardus.ca that's c-a-r-d-u-s cardus.ca brian thanks so much for joining us here today appreciate this thanks for having me rob all right. All the best. Uh, that's Brian Dykema. He's uh, VP uh, of uh, Policy at uh, the think tank Cardis, one of the authors of this report, VP of External Affairs, rather, at Cardis. It's an interesting idea. People like money. I mean, this kind of an incentive, I think, would probably work. I mean, are we comfortable with that? You know, you look at Ohio, and it's a different approach they're taking there. It's not money for everybody. It's a whole lot of money for one lucky person. But people who are vaccinated get to go in this lottery in Ohio and the $1 million prize, and that's led to a lot of demand. I think there are other ways of incentivizing it. You know, just the idea that once we get to a certain level of vaccination, that this starts to change and that starts to change, or even just saying to people, you know, once you're vaccinated, this is how your life can change. I think that's a powerful incentive. And I think we need to be selling that. I think we need to be selling people that... You know, this this is this is our ticket out of this. Like the Alberta campaign right now, the idea of back to normal. I think that's a great way of selling this to people. I think what we got last week from the federal government and these kind of tepid, uninspiring suggestions about what summer might look like, that's not helping anything. And that's certainly not selling people on the idea of vaccination. So I do agree that that to a certain point, you know, the idea of hey. We've got vaccines that work against this virus. That's a, that's a great starting point for a lot of people. But that only gets you so far. So how do you get through to those who are kind of on the fence? I think there are probably, you know, small numbers that you're just not going to get through at all, period. And maybe that is what it is. But I, I think there are some, you know, on the fence that you can still get through to. But off the top in this hour, I want to talk about the messaging from governments in terms of where we're headed and when we're going to start to get back to normal. We've had some rather, I think, what I would call tepid or uninspiring guidance from federal officials about what the summer months might look like. We are seeing provinces, uh, notably Saskatchewan, 
uh, Quebec has uh, now talked about its reopening plan that I think are a lot clearer. And certainly based on a lot more hope and optimism, Alberta Premier uh, Jason Kenney today reiterating that we're likely to see uh, Alberta's uh, reopening roadmap uh, sometime next week. There was an open letter published this week from uh, over 60 business and industry groups calling on the federal government and their provincial counterparts to offer some clear and transparent guidelines for what the approach to reopening is going to look like. A clear and consistent pan-Canadian approach, they say, that will address issues like travel restrictions, public gatherings, and much more. It's not necessarily demand to open everything up right now, but they're calling on governments to provide some clear guidance for what this roadmap looks like. And I think we're very close to turning that corner. Joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, uh, Diane Brisebois, who is president and CEO of the Retail Council of Canada, one of the signatories to this letter. Ms. Brisebois, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So talk about then what what this this letter is calling for. What, What do you want to see? What do we need to see from governments at this point? Well, number one, what the, the group, as you said, of 60-plus uh, business associations are asking is some harmonization. And for us as business leaders, as well as us as Canadians, to see our political leaders across the country working together and providing hope and some clarity and transparency around the roadmap uh, out of lockdown. And you, you mentioned Saskatchewan and Quebec just announcing and we're waiting for the premier of alberta to do the same but we have not seen that nationwide and it's been extremely difficult for businesses and in fact for canadians to figure out what the future looks like and we've seen the positive impact of those very clear roadmaps such as the one in the uk and we thought it was extremely important to share that message with government well, who needs to take the lead on that? I mean, you know, the provinces are in the driver's seat in, in a lot of ways, but, you know, the federal government, I think, can provide some of that national leadership or at least some, some national guidance. So who needs to take the lead on this? Well, absolutely. We believe that uh, the federal government has a big role to play in providing that harmonized approach. So uh, really, really uh, encouraging the provinces and the territories and in fact all of us across the country to work towards a harmonized guidelines for reopening and we've seen that as i said in different parts of the world where uh you know public opinion polls show that people feel less anger frustration or fear in fact because they get a sense that there is a clear plan yeah. and let me add what's important here at the federal level is to encourage the you know similar messaging so that Canadians feel we're all going in the right direction, that there is hope, that we can get our shots, that we can take proper measures to protect ourselves, and that we can reopen safely and more quickly so that all of us can start enjoying what we hope is the new normal. Yeah, exactly. And this letter does talk about that, that it's important to to give people that hope. It's important to to instill public confidence, as as this letter puts it. Uh, so talk about why it's important, right, to, to show people and to demonstrate to people that there is a path out of this. Well, it is, 
it's important because it provides some hope, number one. And I think all of us would agree that, God, do we ever need that right now? It also provides clarity. There's less confusion. We certainly have heard from Canadians, and from a retail perspective, we're hearing it from employees and customers. Is there confusion around different messaging? We've seen that around the AstraZeneca vaccine, for example, or uh, messaging coming from the federal government and then provincial governments about what is safe, what's not safe, who should wear masks, who shouldn't wear masks. That makes all of our lives very difficult. For business, it's doubly challenging because they need to get back to running their businesses. And without specific thresholds and reopening plans, they are just guessing which means they're losing more money, they're not able to bring people back to work, and that has an impact on all their lives because that means their economic recovery is going to slow down. And certainly um, part of this letter is, is to offer support for, for governments in this process, that as business and community leaders, we stand ready to work with you to ensure a safe and sustainable recovery. So, you know, part of this is is that partnership, right? How, how can businesses and, and uh, business leaders play a role here? Well, we can echo that message, that harmonized message. We can echo hope. We can provide people with a sense of what is going to happen with clear guidelines, timelines, and thresholds. You know, we're hearing across provinces, across the country, that it's safe if a percentage of the population is vaccinated. In another jurisdiction, we're hearing different numbers, and and all and on and on and on. That's making it challenging. And what we're saying, we can help you if we develop together a clear pathway. Then we can be your voice, and we can ensure that we repeat that message, and that we put everything in place to support that message and to support a quicker recovery. That's how these organizations can help. They're on the ground. They represent thousands and thousands of small, mid, and large businesses, so they can play a very positive role. Absolutely. Well, much more at retailcouncil.org. Diane, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Diane Brisebois, President and CEO of the Business, uh, or rather the Retail Council of Canada, um, one of the uh, over 60 business associations that have issued this letter to the prime minister and the provincial counterparts calling it a clear and consistent pan-canadian approach to reopening and supporting retailers and other businesses and they do highlight the example of saskatchewan and i think saskatchewan has really shown some leadership on this they put forward a reopening roadmap that links the lifting of restrictions to vaccination milestones so starting with the 70 percent of those 40 and older with one dose then 70% of those 30 and older, and then 70% of everybody who's eligible. So those will be the three stages, and the easing of restrictions is linked to each of those. And I think that's a smart way to to lay it out and give people some some clear guidelines, some clear milestones for what we're trying to get to and what that's going to look like. You know, when you got federal officials coming out last week and saying, you know, this summer, probably you should be able to have some small gatherings and that sort of thing. And it's just, look, people need a lot more than that. And especially when we want to incentivize people to get vaccinated, 
I think if you sell them on this message that not much is going to change in the coming months, that doesn't help. Look, as we see in the U.S. and, and elsewhere, the hype is real. This is going to make a huge difference. You know, we're a little behind where the U.S. is at, obviously, or places like Israel, but we're getting there. And I think it's important to remind people of that and remind people of what we're trying to do here. So, yes, governments need to do a lot better with this communication. And maybe we should leave it to the provinces ultimately. I get the idea of wanting some federal leadership here, but clearly the feds aren't very good at this. Saskatchewan's got it right. I think even what Quebec, the way they're framing it today, I think Quebec's got it right. So maybe the provinces are the ones who who should be in the driver's seat anyway. I think we can just uh, have the feds take a step back. Just keep getting us the vaccines, and we'll take it from here. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.